Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. So we're starting a new series called Thrive this month. We're going to be digging into what does it look like in some kind of practical ways to live out the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of Scripture, the high calling of God, especially in some times when it gets a little bit tougher. So we're going to be talking about how to handle change and transition well. If you're a student, if you've got a job, how, we, how do we do that well? We're going to talk about honoring one another well. Uh, conflict, communication, um, really really good stuff. Uh, so that's where we're going this June. I know it does not feel like June right about now. It feels like October, November. Who here uh, is familiar with the term Maysember? Maysember. Uh, December, it's so busy. You got so much going on, the holidays, all this pressure. May is like this side of the calendars, December. You've got Mother's Day, Memorial Day. You've got, you know, all these ending picnics, celebrations, school celebrations. You're cooking for this and for that. Similar to December, there's also a little bit of pressure to enjoy May in specific ways. Oh, the weather's so good. Have you gotten out and enjoyed it? No, because I had 18 other things to do. This morning, we're looking at two followers of Jesus who could have been in like a really great time, but they had other things that were on their mind, other things that they were looking at and dealing with Kind of like some of us in May-sember. Are you having an amazing spring? I don't know. I'm just trying to get through my calendar. This is the story of two followers of Jesus who are living in what could be, should be, one of the most exciting, joy-filled days ever. Two of their friends, two other women followers of Jesus, they went uh, to take care of the final funeral arrangements for Jesus. And instead of taking care of his body, they don't find his body. They end up face down uh, in front of two angels who tell them, actually, the, 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 you know, the outcome of this is all that possibly Jesus isn't even dead. He is alive again and with us here. And this is all part of his plan. The Bible passage that we are looking at starts with identifying this day as the first day. And they don't mean Sunday or Monday. They are talking about the first day of the rest of your life. They are talking about the first day when the dead come back to life. The first day when sin doesn't have a grip on you. The first day with your best friend in charge. The first day of our new life. God has battled unfair courts pressed through betrayal and torture, turned hell upside down, and risen to new life again. The clock is reset. The world is starting over. And on that same day, our story continues, on that same day, two of his followers decide, yeah, we're going to get out of here. We're going to leave. On the same day as the women are like, from the Garden of Eden to the Garden Tomb, it's a whole new time. They decide to leave Jerusalem. They are living in what could be one of the greatest days in history. 
but they just ain't feeling it. For them, it's not a new day. For them, it's kind of the same day. They're discouraged. They've wasted hopes, time, and money. They made a big deal about coming to Jerusalem for this Passover with Jesus, and then it all went terribly wrong. They, they used to have real faith, bright-eyed hope, and now they're just jaded, disillusioned. What should be one of the most exciting days in their, their life in history finds them going in the opposite direction and, and leaving. Friends, we're living in a new day. We're living in a time of Jesus' resurrection, even more than what these disciples had three days after the crucifixion. We have the Holy Spirit given to us. But for many of us, it doesn't feel like a new day. It feels like the same day. We have the same problems, concerns. We're living life pretty similar to everybody else. Same stress, anxiety. Jesus wants to open our eyes today to how this is a new day in the power of what he's done. So let's pray, and then we're going to dig into our scripture. Jesus, we thank you that today does not have to be the same day. It can be a new day. A new day with you, Jesus, because you are here with us, because you love us, because you have different things for us as we follow you, as we follow the path of Christ. Because you have new invitations, hope, purpose, and fulfillment for us. So we open our hearts to you today. Will you speak truth to our emotions? We open our minds to you. Would you speak truth into our situations and realities? We open our lives to you, Jesus. Would you bring your love, your peace, your joy today? And we submit our lives to your word, to your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to be starting out in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke uh, wrote the whole, wrote the history of Jesus, what he had done um, from birth through to death and continuing on. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, replied, My gosh, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. He's really the only person who really knows what happened, but he's like, What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah, 
who had come to rescue Israel. All this happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the woman said. And Jesus said to him, said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through all the writings of the scriptures uh, from Moses, all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. By this time, it took a while, all the prophecies pointing to him to explain that by this time they were nearing a mass and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was continuing on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. The word of the Lord. So the followers of Jesus, they have this encounter with him in between, on the road, in between Jerusalem and Emmaus. They leave Jerusalem, the epicenter of their faith, the epicenter, the religious epicenter, both for them and for us now. They are leaving the, the place of their dreams. They're leaving where, the place where they hoped God would work and move in this specific way. They're leaving. They're also leaving all the other discipleships, their community, fellowship. And they're leaving the place where where their leader got killed. They are leaving the blood-stained streets, the place where they heard the the whips and nailing and the the, uh, screams of pain. And they're going towards Emmaus. Why? What's in Emmaus? Well, you know, it's been a couple of years from then to now, so we're not 100% certain. But Emmaus was either the site uh, where about 150 years before Judas Maccabeus led a successful revolt against the Greeks, or it's the site of a hot springs. So it's either the place where they had victory, or it's a place to just get away and relax. They say, let's go to the place where things worked out as we actually wanted them to, where we had victory over the enemy oppressors, we beat Goliath, you know, where God worked and redeemed. Boy, the good old days, I wish that that had happened here and now. Or they say, we're just going to go relax, forget that all of this happened for a couple of days, escape go on a little vacation. Things didn't happen the way they had hoped. So entertainment, relaxation, get out of town, 
alcohol, TV, whatever it is to get away. Sound familiar? Things didn't happen how we hoped for. We really wanted this healing for maybe ourselves or someone else. We had this dream of, of career and fulfillment. We had this dream of family. I really wanted this relationship with my kids, my parents. Maybe, you know, you got hurt by other people. They said some things, did some things, said some other things that reinforced those previous comments you were wondering about. He said, you worked so hard, worked so hard and nobody noticed it. Or just life in the epicenter wasn't paying off. You're doing a really good job of sticking here, being a good Christian, and it's just plain not paying off. Let's head out to Emmaus. Except Jesus intercepts them on their journey. And friends, if we are drifting, if we are heading out somewhere else, Jesus will walk with us. He will walk away with us and say, hey, what are you talking about? Well, what's going on? Is it satisfying? How's it working out for you? Is that really what the Bible says? Don't be foolish. Jesus meets us not like we always recognize him. They didn't recognize him and they knew him pretty well. What, what really was their hang-up? Why didn't they recognize? Because they see him. They just don't know that it's him. They had one crucial assumption that blinded them. They assumed that the Savior wouldn't suffer. They assumed that the Savior wouldn't suffer. They say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped for this. Uh, just like on a previous Passover, when God showed up and delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, that's what we wanted to see happen again here and now. Tim Mackey says that if we don't allow who Jesus actually is, to challenge our assumption about who Jesus is, we will remain blind. They had an assumption. They thought they knew who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And because Jesus didn't show up and do what they wanted him to do, they couldn't see who he really was or what he actually was doing in their context. They held on to this idea even as Jesus was doing something even better. N.T. Wright says that they thought that God would redeem them from suffering. Instead, God redeemed them through suffering. God redeemed them. God worked. God did something amazing. God has rescued them out of suffering, giving us new hope, triumphed over death. He's done it. He just didn't do it in the way that they were expecting. 1 Corinthians says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those of us headed for destruction, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What Jesus has done is powerful. What Jesus has done is he has taken all of our trash on himself and he's like jumped into the incinerator. He has given us forgiveness. He's given us a victory 
over all the things that pull us down, over loneliness, over sometimes our thought lives. Jesus gives us victory over this. And that's his invitation. Come experience, come be part of what I've done for you. Come partake in what I can do for you. Jesus has gone from death to life. He says, I've paved the way for you to have a second chance. I've paved the way. I've made it possible for you to have victory over all circumstances in your life that hold you back. And friends, I just want to give us an opportunity this morning to say yes to his invitation. Jesus has done some awesome things, and he wants to apply that to our lives, to apply forgiveness to our lives, to apply victory to our lives, to apply second chances and new life to our life, to us. Are we willing to say yes? Just here and now, pray and say, Jesus, I want to accept your working in my life. I want to accept your invitation to more. I want to receive your power over my circumstances and situation. What you've done, I say yes and I accept it. To follow you. To receive your power over my life. Just pray that and receive that. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that's his invitation to us this morning. The disciples, though, here, as they travel, unfortunately, in the opposite direction, as they're heading out to either the good old days or, or, or to the spa, they're focused on what Jesus hadn't done. They're focused on what he didn't do. What hasn't Jesus done? Well, Jesus has not led a successful revolt, revolution. They are still Romans with AK-47s looking suspiciously at the Jewish minority. As they turn around on their way back to Jerusalem, they are receiving what Jesus actually has done. What has Jesus done? Well, he's risen from the dead. They're centering themselves. They're placing themselves in the work that Jesus has done for them. They go from evaluating or judging what God hasn't done to receiving what God actually has done. Friends, I think that this is a crucial shift to journeying back towards the epicenter, to journeying towards the fullness of what God has done for us. What does this do specifically? I think it places us in the center of God's work for us. Emmaus operates in a position of poverty, of of lack, of what God hasn't done, of weakness. Going back towards Jerusalem, we operate in a place of what God has done, of his blessings, his provision, cooperating with what he's doing in our life. And this is so powerful. This is how we thrive spiritually and in our life. And it isn't just positive thinking, glass half full, which positive thinking is good, glass half full is better than glass half empty. But it aligns us with what God is actually doing so that we get to participate in resurrection. We get to participate in what God's doing instead of mourning 
what God hasn't done instead of complaining about what God hasn't done. One of, um, one of my friends, I've known her f- since elementary school. Um, her husband passed away uh, two years ago now, uh, left her with four young kids. She's doing really well, all things considered. Um, finding joy and purpose and hope. Um, her four kids are doing uh, really well. Um, my sister got together with her and uh, she was saying, you know, they're worse things than having your spouse die. I'm like, really? Like, like what? I mean, you, I mean, that's just pretty high up on, on the list of tragedies. And she's saying, you know, we had a great 10 years together. I know people who have had a very difficult 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of marriage. We had a really good 10 years together. Um, And I think in that what she's doing, she's not just putting on a brave, happy face to, to power through. What she's doing is she's seeing the good work that God did in her life. She is seeing the good 10 years. She is seeing the four beautiful children. And from that place of what God did do, she is drawing strength and encouragement and joy and purpose and centering herself in God's blessing and drawing strength off of that. When we see what God is doing, it strengthens us. We get to be part of resurrection. We get to be part of the amazing things that he is doing. The disciples will have an encounter with Jesus' presence very soon as they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. But first, they have this truth encounter. Their hearts burn inside of them. They realize the truth of the scripture. They understand what Jesus is actually doing. But they had to get over their disappointment of what God didn't do. One of the writers I I like, he talks about the different stages of um, spiritual progression. Something he writes a good bit about is uh, that as we spend years as responsible adults, some of us more responsible than others, decades doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, we can accumulate bitterness and resentment. He talks about folks in their 50s saying, why am I angry all of a sudden? I was never angry before. And he says, you never had years of being the responsible one before. Uh, He writes, as we age, we progress more from the sins of the younger brother to the sins of the older brother. In the story of the prodigal son, the younger brother is drinking and partying and wastefulness. The older brother is bitter and resentful. Why are you letting him home like he's not good enough? We need to forgive. Forgive those who took us for granted. Forgive those who hurt us. Forgive ourselves for our own mistakes. Forgive life for being unfair. And then forgive God for seemingly not having protected us. And I would add, sometimes the bigger the hopes, the bigger the disappointments. Ephesians 4 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, 
every form of malice. Hopefully there's not too much brawling, not too many bar fights. But I know, I know there's some bitterness. I know there's some jealousy. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. On this journey, we have to shed some things. We have to let go of some hurt and pain if we're ever to really, truly go back to our center. I read a quote by uh, Viola Davis, who I'm um, local uh, from, from Rhode Island. Um, she uh, had a very, very tough uh, childhood with lots of things to forgive. I think one of her secrets of success, actually why she did go from poverty in Rhode Island to Juilliard to a successful career, is because she was able to truly and totally forgive everything. And she says about her journey, uh, Viola Davis, that forgiveness is letting go of any hope for a different past and holding on to only hope for a different future. You say, that happened and it was terrible. But you shut that chapter, and then you move on to another chapter. Forgiveness is not saying, you could have, should have, ought to, why did you, like, it should have been different. It should have. You close that chapter and say, but I can go on to a better future. The disciples could not change the fact that Jesus died. They couldn't change the fact that this happened, that this trauma happened. What they could do is they could see Jesus alive again and with them again. You can't change the past, but with Jesus, we have hope for a different future. So friends, where have you been hurt? Where have you been disappointed? Where have you said, I really, really wanted something different? Maybe it's with family. I had this hope, this dream. I just wanted, and it was so good. It was so good. For the disciples, it was so good. They didn't want to see you know, their rabbi go through this. It's a good dream. Maybe it's career, vocation. I don't know what it is. But where have you been disappointed? I think why this is important is that sometimes the good things that God is doing, it's like if this is the, uh, if this is the good things God is doing, we run up against, it's kind of fenced by a little bit, our pain and disappointment and hurt. We say, it's up there, but we knock into these barriers. It's different from what I wanted it to look like. I have to get over this offense or pain. I was holding on to something different. And we have to get over the pain and hurt and disappointment before we can really center ourselves in the good things that God's doing, before we can really see it. We don't get to choose what God does. Cleopas here is walking with another disciple or maybe his wife Mary. If, if Jesus had given them a choice, if Jesus had given them a choice of what he was to do and said, okay, I can lead a successful revolution against you know the terrible Romans, or I can rise from the, the dead again, 
I'm not 100% sure what they would have chosen. It is a good, good thing that we don't get to choose what God does. I, uh, I had an uncle who, um, he would do these magic tricks for us. I really like this uncle. He does these little card tricks for us. Um, one time I lost my favorite watch in the lake. He dove down, found it, uh, dried it out. And then he did this trick where it's this whole misdirection he's got and then pulled out. I was so happy. The great thing about my uncle, though, was that he usually told us how he did his, his little card tricks. He, he brought us in on this secret, informed us of how the whole thing worked. I love that. And how it usually worked is that you distract the person. You get their attention all focused over here. There's misdirection. And then you just casually bring in the other card and no one notices. I think sometimes we do that with our own life. We're so focused on this other thing that we don't even notice that God is just casually bringing these other things to the front, slipping them in. God does some good tricks with our life if our eyes are open to see it. We need to let go of what God isn't doing and place ourselves in what God is doing. And when we do that, we are free to experience God's presence. Truth opens us up to see and receive and live into what God is doing. Verse 30, they sat down to eat. They're all together. They've received the truth. They've made their peace with the Savior suffering. And Jesus takes the lead. It's not his home, not his house, but he takes on the role of the host he blesses the bread and gives it to them. And suddenly they recognize him. They're like, it's Jesus. They can see him. They've encountered the truth. They've reconciled themselves to his suffering. And then they see him fully. Friends, let's break it down real specific for us. If we're journeying towards an Emmaus spot, towards you know, more normal life, towards other things, Talk to Jesus. He's the only one who really knows what's going on anyways. He intercepts our journey away. Receive the truth. Tell Jesus what's going on. And when we do that, we're able to recognize what he's doing. Our eyes are open to see all of what Jesus is doing. And then we're able to turn around and go back to the center. It says, within the very hour. They turned right around and went back to Jerusalem. When we see who Jesus is, we're able to experience the good things he's doing here and now, and it sets us back on our track to our purpose and to our fulfillment. Mm-hmm.